My guest this week has been acting in television and film for over 50 years. He has been in such classic TV series as Soap, MASH, Barney Miller, and Family Ties. He's also known for his art, his cooking, and his game-playing ability. I'm excited to meet Sal Viscuso. <laughs> hey, Ian. Hey. So, you're from Brooklyn? Yeah, Red Hook. And do you remember getting the first television or or your first memories you already had a television we had a black and white tv i watched million dollar movie every day so that was my introduction to film and on saturday we would go i'd go to the movies all day it would be double feature a serial cartoons and coming attractions i'd stuff my face with all my favorite foods and that was the one place where i felt safe in the movie theater because catholic school was like uh, hell on earth. So the movies and TV was my escape. And I remember seeing the Beatles and Ed Sell on Ed Sullivan and Elvis Presley on Ed Sullivan. And also uh, those were, that's what I grew up with. Yeah. So TV was, and all the game shows, $64,000 question. What's my line? Uh, I've got a secret. You've got a secret. You bet your life with Groucho. That stuff kept me going. I loved it. I used to, that's, was, I thrived on it. When did you move to California? In 1960, my parents had split up. I survived six years of Catholic school. My mother realized that she was no uh, match for the patriarchal, angry Irish immigrant Franciscan brothers who seemed to pick on us Italian kids, and me particularly, because I was the most energetic of the bunch. And I used to be considered like a clown in the class. Not, I didn't try to be funny. I guess I just was, but it drove those Irish guys nuts. And my mother thought, although I've never, I never had the conversation with her about it, but her sister was in Sacramento with her husband and kids, my cousins. And my mother, I guess, was convinced by my Aunt Madeline, may she rest in peace, that it would be easier to bring me up in Sacramento than being, having me stay in Brooklyn, where that neighborhood Red Hook was rough. And I was, well, I was going to be 12 and I was just about to you know, be a teenager. And I think my mother realized, let me do something. And I went to California with her. And immediately I was in a co-ed school because at St. Mary, where I was in Brooklyn, uh, the boys were upstairs, the girls were down, and it was completely separate. And coming to California was like walking at that paradise because people were, the vibe, everything was different about it. I mean, it was just, people were welcoming, which was not what I felt in the Catholic school. So you went to public school? Yeah, in Sacramento. Okay. Had I stayed in Brooklyn, I'm sure my mother would have moved me into a Catholic high school if I could have survived the rest of junior high, but it wasn't looking too promising. Gotcha. And then you went to UC Davis and studied political science? Yeah, because uh, here's how that happened. My high school librarian, may she rest in peace, Helen Young, the first time I met her, we were, we were in a group, were brought into the library, and I didn't know... She asked me, what did I, how did I feel about using the Dewey Decimal System? And I had no idea what she was talking about, and she went ballistic. But when she started talking to me, she realized I had other things going on that were of interest to her. Just my, I guess my personality, I don't know. But she took me under her wing and basically adopted me, short of doing it legally. And I was like one of her number one people that she spent of the school with. And she filled out my college application to Davis, which was 20 miles away from Sacramento. And that's how I got to UC Davis and how the political science thing happened is that at my college roommate, Scott Rubenstein, who's also gone, he said, 
because he majored in poli sci and, and he knew that I really was only interested in acting. He said to me, listen, the good thing about poli sci is that you don't have to write a thesis. It's one of the few disciplines where you only have to take a certain number of classes. And he said, I love going to class. I don't mind taking notes. You go focus on the drama department and I'll take notes. So at the end of each quarter, three quarter a year, uh, it, was the, it went from semester to quarter system. Uh, at the end of the, each quarter when the finals, he would just give me his notes. I would cram and I would get better grades than he did, which drove him crazy. But he was so happy that I was in the drama department getting the act, he didn't mind doing it. And he was like the best friend anybody could have. So I, I got a degree in poli sci, even though if I wanted to be a lawyer, I would have ended up like, uh, what's his name, a defendant to Chicago 7, who was gagged. You know what I'm talking about? Kunstler? I probably well, William Kunstler, yeah. I would have been gagged and bound, and it wouldn't have been appropriate for me to have been a lawyer. I wouldn't have been very effective. So I found the right profession by being an actor. Right. And it had something to do with seeing Hogan's Hero star Ivan Dixon. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so freshman quarter, fall 66, I had no study skills whatsoever. High school was like a personality contest, so I kind of floated my way through that. I flunked two of the 12 unit class. Of, we had 12 units required. I flunked two of the classes. So I got an F in geography. I had to take a science class that was required. I had an F in bonehead entry-level English. And so that was two Fs. And I got a D in history. So I got put on remedial everything. They got me a therapist to try and help me adjust to college. And I turned it around. And I had a great teacher who, this English teacher in particular, introduced me to King Lear, Look Back in Anger, and James Joyce's Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man. I brought my grade point average up. The night before spring quarter started, my pal Ginger Drake and I were watching this movie called the Final War of Ollie Winter, starring Ivan Dixon, who was one of the stars of Ogan Zeros, and he was one of the two black actors on network TV, Bill Cosby being the other. And by the title of the, of the TV thing, The Final War of Ollie Winter, and it took place in Vietnam, you can guess how it ended. I was destroyed by the end of it, and so was Ginger. And I turned to her, filled with tears. My eyes were puffy, and I said, Ginger, I got to do this. And she said, well... And she was an actress. She said, they have auditions in the drama department tomorrow. Why don't you come with me? And I went with her and I walked in and they handed me this material and I started reading and I got done. And the two people that were con con conducting the direct the audition just got up and hugged me. And they said, how come we never met you before? Who are you? You're wonderful. Blah, blah, blah. And I felt like I found my family and I never looked back. That's how I got into the drama department. The only other experience I had with acting if you could call it that, was my senior year in high school in Sacramento, Hiram Johnson. My best pal at the time, Brad Miller, said to me, listen, my, dra our, my drama teacher is looking for an actor who's both loud and funny. And I thought of you. Plus, if you got the part, you get to kiss the head cheerleader, Sandy Byersdorfer, who in real life I didn't exist because she was only into the football players, whose boyfriend was Nick Piagentini, a paisan, who's the quarterback on the high school football team. I got the part. I kept trying to figure out a way to, for us to rehearse. She never wanted to rehearse, but she was a good kisser in the two performances that we had. Oh yeah, did you were you friends with the Forch brothers? I knew them both, and they were very big baseball successes. But I didn't hang with either one of them, Bobby and Kenny. No, how do you know about them? I looked up your high school to see if you were like the most famous, <laughs> most famous. I do my research. You did your homework. Yeah.
Hey, by the way, I loved your introduction, which included the part about game shows, which we'll get to. Yes, I have a bunch of questions about that. <laughs> um, so you studied at in NYU under Olympia Dukakis? Yeah, and, and Peter Cass, who actually at Boston University taught Olympia. And Peter directed on Broadway, uh, bear with me, Lorraine Hansberry's The Sign in Sidney Brewstein's Window, while the co-director of NYU, Lloyd Richards, may rest in peace, directed the original Raisin in the Sun that Ivan Dixon was in, who I went on to mention was in the final war of Ollie Winter. So full circle. When you were still living in New York, when you were in the taking of Pelham 123. Which was the first big job I got right out of NYU. In fact, I graduated NYU May 73. And a month later, I got my first national commercial. And talk about anecdotes. The day before I got this commercial, I met this agent. His name was Mike Roscow. I don't even know if he's alive. And, he, and this is what he said to me. He says, sorry, kid. I can't help you. You're too ethnic. You need to change your name. Hey, I was named after my paternal grandfather who ran one of the docks. Like, I'm going to change my name. Yeah, right. I wouldn't have been able to make it back home that night if I changed my name. Can you imagine? Next day, I get my first national commercial, American Motors Gremlin. Dominic Rossetti was the director. And Jimmy Borelli, who was playing Sonny Lattieri in Greece on Broadway, was the other actor in the spot. A month later, Dominic says, what are you doing on Tuesday? I said, I don't know why. He says, you want to do another commercial? I said, Dom, I'd love to, but I got to join this union. And he goes, not a problem. You get, how much is it? I said, I don't know. So the next day I called the Screen Actors Guild and said it was 300 bucks. I called him up. He says, Lorraine, my wife will give you the 300 bucks. Come on over. She opened up her bag. She pulled out a roll of $100 bills, handed me three 100s. I went back over to the Screen Actors Guild, gave them the 300 bucks, joined SAG. The next day I did my second national commercial. That was in July. And in November, when I got uh, the taking of Pelham 123, and we shot that in December, right before Christmas. And my first day on set in this abandoned subway tunnel in Brooklyn, Robert Shaw had a machine gun pointed to my face, along with Hector Elizondo and Marty Balsam, of all people. So it was an incredible experience. And then you decided to go to California. Ah, a year later, when Pelham came out, it was right after my dad had passed away, and Pelham was a big hit. And my wife at the time, she was my girlfriend, she became my wife the following year, Tess, whom I met when I was graduating Davis, I was a senior and she was a freshman. Um, her parents lived in the Bay Area. They lived in Redwood City. And she wanted to go back for Christmas. And she said, I want, let us both go. I said, okay. And I thought, well, Pelham was a hit. I got an eight by 10 from Pelham where I was carrying the ransom bag. And my agent at the time in New York, Jeff Hunter, he said, look, why don't you go to LA and maybe you'll get something. And, and she said, you get to maybe get a pilot or something. I didn't even know what the hell a pilot was. I said, okay. So we went, we went, Tess and I, my ex, we went to see her parents. After we saw her parents, I, she went back to New York where we were living together. And I would, cause she moved back out after she graduated Davis in 73. Uh, and I went down to LA and I stayed with a friend. And a month after I was in LA, I got a pilot called the Montefusco's and the Montefusco's became a series. And so the summer of 75, we moved to California together, got married that summer, did the Montefusco's. We shot nine, five weeks after they aired. We're watching the Tonight Show. Bill Persky, a Persky den war from the Dick Van Dyke Show, who produced our show. He said, Bill called me up around 1140. He says, what are you kids doing? I said, we're watching the Tonight Show. He says, well, I got bad news, but I'm not going to tell it to you yet. Keep watching the Tonight Show. Lee Grant was on there who had been blacklisted. And Lee Grant 
said that her show got canceled and she blamed the week leading. And then all of a sudden the screen went blank. At that point, the phone rings and it was Bill Persky. And turns out that in the East Coast where the show was live, the Tonight Show, and Lee Grant had flipped off the head of the network, Brandon Tartikoff, not Brandon Tartikoff, uh, Marvin Anton, Anton, yeah, Antonowski. God, you're good, Ian. The man programmer. Yeah, and and he and she blamed on a weak leading. Well, the leading was the Montefuscos, and he had canceled both of our shows. But here's serendipity. Two years later, when I got soap, Dinah Manoff, Lee Grant's daughter, was on the on soap as well. But you can, I'm sure you already know all that. You connect all those dots to your listeners. But yeah, crazy, right? Yeah, and you know one of the Montefusco's episodes is on YouTube. Is it the one where I got my where I got my where I interviewed where I was I made my TV acting debut on the morning on the on the Christian show? No, it was your parents' 40th anniversary, and they renew their vows. One of yeah, the, the one the one that was all about me. Yeah. Is everybody in the neighborhood was watching. It was a Sunday morning, one of those Christian reenactment things. And my line was the Carthaginians are at the gate. And I'm like a Roman soldier. And I forgot my line. And to the embarrassment of the entire neighborhood. And that episode was all about me. But it was fun. And Ronnie Carey, who played my brother-in-law, my brother, he was on Barney Miller. And when we shot Barney Miller, when I shot Barney Miller, he was on. And when we did Soap, my last year in Soap, our, our, sound studio, our recording studios, sound stages were right next to each other. And he was the best. I missed him. And then John and Preya, who was my other brother on the Montefuscos, of course, you know, was young Tessio on Godfather. One of the children, one of the grandchildren of that show had a videotape of that episode from like almost 50 years ago. And he put it on YouTube. Wow. So I got to watch it. It, was, it wasn't bad. It was pretty good. Yeah, it wasn't bad, but it was not the right timing for an Italian family show. But then when they, they had the Brooklyn Bridge all about the Jewish people, that didn't seem to be the right timing either. And that was a great show. They, Gary, put, it on, they put it on Friday nights. Gary David Goldberg. And you would think with all the executives at the neighborhood that were Jewish already, they would give them a little better treatment. They didn't. And he made them a lot of money from running family ties. Gary David Goldberg was incredible. Mm. Yeah, I'm going to ask you about family ties because you were on Yeah, he was my producer on family ties. Right. You didn't marry Hartman, marry Hartman. I did one of those. I played a Hare Krishna. Imagine me, a Hare Krishna with a skull cap and a thick Brooklyn accent. Yeah, I was like, how are you a Hare Krishna with that hair? Well, they had a skull cap. Okay. That and sense. I had those rimless glasses. <laughs> so I'm a big fan of soap. And I, I, I watched it when it was Comedy Central brought, bought it in 1995. So you didn't see it live. You, you didn't see it live. I was born... Two months after it premiered. You want to hear a funny story? Yeah. Uh, after the rap party second season of Soap, which was in 79, uh, I left it to go to a midnight concert of Elvis Costello in the attraction oh. at a small country club. And Dick Clark got me the tickets. The next day, I flew to Australia with him to help get $20,000 pyramid on the Australian TV network because the producer of that Australian TV what happened to catch me do it in New York. And I was one of the all-time money winners, even though I never got credit for it. I was really quite good at it. Well, anyway, I sit down at the table and there's this young kid sitting across from me and he's very nice. And he recognized me from soap. And he was there with an older guy. The guy smiles very nice. Didn't tell me anything about himself. 
cut to the fact that day before I come back from Australia, I had a call from my publicist saying the Tonight Show called. They want you to do their show. I said, what? I thought you told me they weren't interested. They said, the, the publicist said, well, we didn't. We stopped pitching you because they didn't seem to have a, a hook for you other than as Father Tim. They asked for you to come on the show because it turns out that one of the producers, Peter Lasali was his name. Okay. Right below Fred de Cordova. Right. He had requested me. I don't know who this guy was. It turns out the older guy with the kid that I befriended at the Elvis Costello concert was Peter Lasali. And he was so impressed that I treated his kid as an equal instead of acting like some big deal movie star that he said, I like this guy. And he told his booking agent to get me on the on the Tonight Show. And I got to do the Tonight Show right away, twice with, with George Carlin. It's the best. Okay, that's great because it said David Brenner was the guest host, but it was George And then Carlin. I did one with David Brenner as well, who was pretty funny on his own right. But between the two of them, it was easier for me to do with George Carlin because George Carlin just seemed to be interested in me, whereas I felt with David, he was kind of waiting to find a place to make a funny joke. And not to take anything away from David because he was brilliant, but I preferred Carlin. Carlin and I connected more. Yeah, he's a New Yorker versus a Philadelphia guy. Maybe that had something to do with that 90-minute train ride. Well, in Philly, in South Philly, they call Sunday sauce gravy, but we would never call it gravy. So there you are. I was born in Queens, moved to Long Island, so. You know. You understand. Yeah. yeah. And so, so the two most controversial characters were Jody, Billy Crystal, and Father Tim. And I almost didn't get on the air. In fact, with Fred Silverman, may he rest in peace, when we were at the uh, opening party at Bob Seagram's house, it was Billy Crystal's lover, the gay, the, you know, the Olympic, Olympic gold medalist, Bob Robert Seagram. Uh, Fred said to me, Sal, I love you. I love your character. I love Father Tim but you may not get on the air. He said that to me. So I was holding my breath. In fact, I'm on the airplane going to New York to do Pyramid, and I'm in the front row of a DC-10, and I have opened up my fan mail because that's when I would read it on the plane, going back east. And a flight attendant recognized me, starts talking to me, said, what's it like doing what you do? And I handed her a piece of fan mail, which happened to be a Bible with a letter in it saying that I should repent and that I'm a sinner playing this character. Ten, she leaves with the Bible. Ten minutes later, she comes back. She looks like she's seen a ghost. She sits down. She said, do you know who's on the plane with you? I said, no. She said, turn around slowly. I turn around slowly, and there were eight guys looking at me with earphones, smiling. She says, you know who they are? I said, no. She said, they're Secret Service agents. I said, really? I, and I said, why? She says, okay, now start turning back and look over your shoulder. I was in seat 1D. She said, now look at seat 2A in the window. It was Nixon. And she thought, they thought, told her that it was a bomb threat. And it wasn't. When she told them it was me, they wanted to meet me. So once the plane took off, the, the Secret Service guys started talking to me and gave me their card if I ever wanted a private tour in San Clemente. But I declined. And I never took them up on it. I thought it was probably not a good idea politically where I was coming from. <laughs> to be uh, anywhere near San Clemente, private tours, and golf cup, golf carts, if you get my drift. Right. No regrets <laughs> that I never did that interview. Right, that's fine. I had Diana Canova on, and she's so nice. I love her. I was so lucky to have the most beautiful woman in the world play Corinne. It was easy to fall in love with her. And she told me that before Robert Urich was cast, 
um, as her boyfriend, John Bennett Perry, Matthew Perry's father, was the original. Uh, I didn't know that because my first day on set was their episode five. Right. And and Bob was in the middle of his six episode arc and he and I became friends and he was very, very good to me. Right after Soap, we did a TV movie called Princess Daisy and we traveled everywhere together. And in Italy, particularly, we really connected. I, I miss him very much. He was a very, very good friend. He got me a lot of work, including when he was doing Spencer for Spencer Hire. For hire. Spencer for Hire. And that show almost got spun off. And he made that possible. He made it happen for me. I loved him. He's a great actor. Vegas is a great show. He's, and he was a great friend. He was, you know, a working class Catholic from from Pennsylvania. You know, he was a P Pittsburgh Steeler guy. Pittsburgh Pirates. The real real salt of the earth. Mm. Great guy. Just the best. What would your uh, mother feel about Father uh, Tim? My mother loved it because she secretly wanted me to become a priest. And when I left the priesthood, she was so angry she was going to write the producers a letter. Mm. I begged her not to. I talked her out of it. And then you had a devil baby. Oh, that did not go over too big. <laughs> yeah, that, that that one was pushing the envelope a lot. My mother, she wasn't too fond of that. Mm. My mother was, you know, a simple person with a big heart. And that television thing got times a little too close to reality for her. Gotcha. But she loved it when Doris Roberts played my mother pre-Everybody Loves Raymond because she bought her as an Italian mother. Doris, who played Doris, everything. I love Doris. And I played many Jewish characters myself. Look, mm. Lenny Bruce's character, he named me after a Polish priest, Father Flatsky, and people thought for sure I was Jewish. If I had get families, how come a Jew was playing a Catholic priest? Could you imagine? And the I'm Catholic. To, yeah, they're writing a letter to a guy named Salvatore Vescuso and, <laughs> and asking you... Go figure, right? Right. And what was it like working with Richard Mulligan and Catherine Helmand? All right. They were the most brilliant actors. I had very little to do with them. And I would be in awe because I learned so much about acting watching. I only wish that the show wasn't primarily just about two sisters because I would have loved to have been more involved in the story of that show because mm -hmm. it was the best gig at that point. You know, I did some episodes of MASH. I did episodes of Barney Miller for the late Danny Arnold. But Soap was my baby. I mean, Soap put me on the map. Soap bought the house in which I'm still living. Okay. In 78. And when people recognize the name, is that what they recognize you for, mostly Soap? Yeah, and also people hear my voice, they say that voice is awfully familiar, and then they recognize my voice from MASH. Right. You know, attention, attention, all personnel incoming wounded, me. Yep. And then you appeared in three or four episodes of MASH. Um, I did, person. I did. And if, ironically, the last time I, I was on camera, it was because I became a series regular. But until then, I had already done a different different characters. And 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 Burt Metcalf, who may rest in peace, who was the associate producer of MASH, who had given me these gigs in the first place, he said, I can't use you anymore because you're identified with this other show. But if I hadn't been a regular on soap, I'm sure I would have continued to do MASH. You were doing it concurrently, 77 to 79. And the last episode of MASH I did on camera, ironically, I shot it my first week of soap and I was running back and forth to do, do both. It was a pretty great week. And ironically, I got soap. My dad passed away on July 31st, 74, three years to the day I got soap. Wow. And he didn't live to see any of it. He didn't live to see one day of my professional career. I wish he had been here 
having just played a lawyer, Italian lawyer in view from the bridge at the Ruskin Theater here in Red Hook. I only wish my dad could have been alive for that because my dad was a longshoreman. And that's one of my earliest memories in Brooklyn in the mid 50s in Red Hook. So I was a longshoreman to Ray Abruzzo, who played little Carmine from The Sopranos in this view from the bridge there, what I just did. And Ray Abruzzo was incredible. Ray is the real deal. A real paisan and a great actor. Little Carmine. He's my favorite show of all time is Night Court, and he married Marky Post. And, yeah, and yeah. may she rest in peace. I, I'm a big fan of hers. Uh, and then Barney Miller, I love, is a great show. What was your favorite episode? Because you did four. Well, the one that was written for me where I stole the money out of this poor box. All right, Fire 77. Hey, could I tell you about that experience? Absolutely. It was like being in an Italian social club, which you may know a little bit about, because Danny got rid of the audience and told ABC, I want to shoot it like a film, like MASH, and we would shoot all night. We would shoot all night. And he brought in food, and we kept shooting until he got exactly what he wanted. And Noam Pitlack was his number one go-to director. But Danny always was right there, fine-tuning. And not to take away anything from Noam, because Noam was incredible. But Danny, Danny was a father figure to me. You know, I lost my dad at 74. And Danny kind of took me under his wing. He was extraordinary. And I was also lucky to have Jay Sandridge direct all my 26 episodes of MASH. Uh, so. Alan Alda and the late Gene Reynolds, who was the executive producer of MASH, directed me on MASH on camera. Mm -hmm. They were incredible. I had the best. I mean, just think about this. Three Jews from New York gave me my break. Okay? Susan Harris wrote Soap. Danny Arnold created and wrote Barney Miller. And Larry Gelbart wrote MASH. Look at that. Right? Let me ask you about Fatso. Wait, we'll get, we'll get, wait, we'll get there. Speaking I'm sorry. Of, speaking of the Jews, you ready? Okay. Summer of 76, when I started on MASH, I get a call. Hello, Sal? Yeah? Hey, it's Terry. Terry was the mother of one of the kids that was one of my nephews, Ronnie's kid in the Montefuscos. She said, my son and Luke Reiner, Carl Reiner's son, go to Beverly Hills High School, and Luke told my son, that his dad is looking for someone to dog sit and house sit because Carl was going to China with Norman Lear. May they both rest in peace. I recommended you and Tessie, my ex-wife. So I go over and meet Carl with Tess, the Jew from the Bronx, Carl, the Catholic Italian from Brooklyn. We start talking about food. 20 minutes after, he goes, did I hear a rumor from Terry you make fresh pasta? I go, yeah, Carl. He says, you want to cook for me and some friends? I go, yeah. How about Saturday? I go, okay. So hold on a second. He got up from the couch. He walked five feet to his desk. He looked through his Rolodex. I'll have you explain what Rolodex are. <laughs> and he goes, hello, Mel Brooks. Are you an Ann Bancroft, Mrs. Robinson, the graduate? Thank you very much. Are you an Annie Free on Saturday? I got this kid, Italian kid actor, Salvis Guso, Montefusco soap. He says he makes fresh pasta. No, no, he didn't say soap because I didn't get soap till 77. He said, you guys want to come and eat? Great. Hangs up. Hello, Dom DeLuise. 
You and Carol free on Saturday? Mel and Anna coming over. I got this. Same story. Yeah, you can bring your mother from. And I'm listening to this, right? Dom DeLuise, his mother from Brooklyn. Dom's wife, Carol. Mel Brooks and Bancroft. They're coming over two days later. That dinner. That dinner led to <laughs> Fatso with Annie Bancroft. The world's greatest lover with Gene Wilder, and he wasn't even at the dinner because he was one of their best friends. And five weeks on Spaceballs, 11 years later for Mel. And as you know, in Spaceballs, the first person you see in Spaceballs is I, and I get zapped in the balls. Right. <laughs> Mel says, you're playing Sergeant Rico. You're sitting at the first desk. You're getting $2,500 a week. Don't ask me for more money. There's going to be a lot of coverage of you. I don't know what I'm going to do with you yet. Shut up and sit there. That was Mel. And when I did Fatso, every Friday after we shot, I would cook. And that morning, Annie would have Italian bread flown out from her favorite bakery in the village. And we all got together. I cooked for everybody on the set. It was really a family affair. And during Spaceballs rap party, Mel got a little, a little challenging at times. And Annie says, so Sally, she always loved calling me Sally because she, she's Anna Louise Italiano from the Bronx. So Annie's Andy, Italian. She goes, so what was it like working with Mel? And I, I was afraid to answer. I didn't tell her the truth, but I looked at her. She goes, Sally, Mel's not an actor. What can I tell you? So she knew. She knew what that meant, that she could be he could be challenging. You understand, it's a good thing that they liked my food and they liked me. Yeah. If either one of those weren't happening, there would have been no three movies. It would have been, oh, hi. Thank you, Sal. It was nice meeting you. Bye-bye. It wasn't anything like that. I knew I was home free. Mel was sitting next to me. And I think one of them, Annie or Mel. And, and, and Mel gets his bread and he starts to put it in Annie's plate. And she goes, Mel, get your, get your, goddamn, get your goddamn bread out of my sauce. It was fantastic. And I remember Mel was wearing a blue cufflink dress shirt and he got his cuffs in her sauce. He had sauce dripping on his cuffs. <laughs> I was in heaven. The compliment when they're fighting, <laughs> over the, when they're fighting over the leftover sauce. Hey, that scene at the grave in Fatso where Peggy's trying to pull the flowers out of my hand and I go, Sally, take me with you. We improvised all that. Was that, was that fun improvising? Oh, yeah. Because it was real life. That's what it was like at an Italian funeral. Every funeral I went to was a production. You're in one of my father's favorite movies, Max Dugan Returns. Oh, that was a great gig. That was a great gig. I got to play. Hey, and the Yankee pitching coach was the advisor on the film. And it was great. Jason Robards was great. That was Matthew's, I think it was Matthew's first movie. And he was dating Neil Simon's daughter at the time. So Neil wrote the part for him. And Donald Sutherland, right? And Donald, it was a great, it just was great. I I had some of the best early parts of my career. I'm telling you, I was very, very lucky. Good thing I didn't change my name, right? Well, plus I would have been killed by my grandfather, so there would have been no career. Right, but Nunzio Montefusco uh, changed his name. Yeah, but my grandfather forgave me on that one. He just loved the fact I was playing in Italian. But so... But he loved the fact that I was playing in Italian. My motorcycle helmet with flames, wearing all polyester. And my hair was like 
like a Jewish Afro. Now you got to do one of the coolest things in show business in the seventies, which was go on the love boat four times. And I got to kiss some pretty women, but I never got to take the actual cruises. I kept doing it, hoping that I would get on one of those cruises, but never, never drew the right straw. I wasn't a big enough celebrity, quote unquote. You know, one of my favorite things, did you know I used to cook on Dinosaur Show? No, I knew you were a guest on the Dinosaur Show. I didn't know and you I used to cook. And sometimes the guests would fall out and they'd call me like 11 in the morning going, you got a recipe? We need a slot filled. And I would and I would get moving down there because the studio was only like three blocks from my house. And I got I did. And she was an absolute delight. She could not have been more charming. And she and she appreciated my cooking and my energy and my sense of humor. And she she really was a fantastic host. As was Dick Clark when I did Pyramid. Dick was great. And you were on Family Ties, two episodes. I did a couple of those. Yeah. And everybody was fantastic. Uh, Justine and Michael and Michael and everybody was great. That was another really smart show. Gary David Goldberg was smart. He had good writers and good people. Just really, I was blessed. I was blessed. I mean, and I don't mean some... that. Hey, I don't mean that in a religious sense. It says something about you, obviously, as an actor, that the quality uh, producers and writers want you in their shows. Thank you. Thank you. I can finally accept the compliment 50 years in the business. <laughs> About a week ago, I wasn't able to accept it. Now I'm okay. just starting to accept it. Truthfully, doing the play with Ray Abruzzo, we ran 14 weeks. Every show was sold out. Something shifted in me. Something finally got in place. I played Alfieri, the lawyer. I opened the play. I had monologues throughout it. And the very last word, after Eddie Carbone's character is killed, I sum up everything. And it, it changed me. It deepened me because of the bar that Ray Kimberly Chase, I don't know if you know that actress, she played Beatrice. She was extraordinary. And she and I were the two characters that told the truth in the play. She was my favorite actor in the show, better than even me, as far as I was concerned, better than I am. And I would just, she took my breath away every night. She just destroyed me. And I was just motivated to work with them, I couldn't wait to get to the theater every night. We had great producers, great cast, great audiences, night after night after night after night. Were you playing the role that Tony Danza played on Broadway? I didn't see the Broadway production, but I was the lawyer to Eddie, Car Eddie Carbone. I was, I was the consigliere. As I say at the end, every few years there was still a case. And as the people tell me what the trouble is, the flat air in my office suddenly washes in with the green scent of the sea and the dust in this air is blown away. And the thought comes that in some Caesar's year, in Calabria perhaps, or on the cliff at Syracuse, another lawyer, quite differently dressed, heard the same complaint and sat there as powerless as I and watched it run its bloody course. This one's name was Eddie Carbone, then he'd make his entrance. A longshoreman working the docks from Brooklyn Bridge to the breakwater where the open sea begins. I would sit down and I sit down next to the audience, from which point I would get up and do other monologues. And then he came on and started the, the official play. And it was an incredible play. And as you know, Arthur Miller and I had the best, as far as I was concerned, I had the best part because I was the one guy that didn't have to be emotional.
I had to restrain myself. And at times, it came close. I mean, one of my lines, talking about Eddie, he was as good a man as he had to be in a life that was hard and even. He worked on the piers when there was work. He brought home his pay and he lived. He raised his family, went bowling, ate, got old, and then he died. Imagine saying those words every night. Look at that. That applied to people in my family, my mother's side of the family. They were all working class. When I was born, I noticed on my birth certificate, Dutch Viscuso, baker. He was a baker at a bakery in Brooklyn, which is still there, Mazzola's Bakery. Then he was a longshoreman, which was my earliest memory. Then in Brooklyn, in an upscale Jewish neighborhood where Arthur Miller lived, on Ocean Avenue and Avenue M was the Genovese house. This was in the 50s. Dad was a chef. My Uncle John owned the restaurant. Then later, my Uncle John and my Uncle Mello opened up a sandwich shop on Times Square between 49th and 48th on 7th Avenue South called Hero City. And it was right down from the Winter Garden. And in fact, the first play I saw was Funny Girl in 64, Barbara Streisand. That got me introduced to acting professionally. And my Uncle John took me there. My dad was a bartender. So dad went from being a baker to a longshoreman, to a chef, to a bartender. So I still have very much those working class roots in me. I did not come from money. You did. You did a show that I I, I, just, I love. I when I watched it when it was on Sledgehammer. <laughs> That's such a funny show. <laughs> Tell me about it. I don't really remember it. Okay, so it was a parody of cop shows where. He was he just loved to shoot and kill people. He didn't have a silencer on his gun, he had a louder. <laughs> and in the first episode, in the last episode, they thought they were gonna get canceled after the first season. Um they blew the whole cast up and then they got picked up. So then they just changed the name of the show to Sledgehammer the Early Years. <laughs> and in the first I don't, episode, hey, I don't even remember doing this. It was 1987, and then you're the bad guy in the first episode of the second season. No memory of this. Who was in it? David Rashi. Oh, he's a good actor. Harrison Page. I knew Harrison. And Andrew Johnson. Very good actress. Very, very good actress. You know, years later, at an outdoor venue called The Tree People, we did Airplane the Staged Reading. And Henry Reed Johnson was the narrator. And I played McCluskey, the air traffic controller. You, and you, and you. We did it for like 15 years. In the last chunk of years, Robert Forster, may rest in peace, was, was the lead guy who was Peter, what's his name, in the movie. And, and, and Zucker, David Zucker would show up and, and, and do part of the Q&A. It was fantastic. And Robert Hayes showed up too the last few years. It was a wonderful experience. That sounds great. Yeah. So many, yeah, so many things I hear of that happened in LA. And it's like, oh, I'd love to go to that. Uh 911 you did a couple of years ago. I did 911 four years ago. It was the last time I was in the room TV show. Right. And that show, that episode, directed by Millicent Shelton, who just got a tone an Emmy nomination for directing uh either morning show or Lessons in Chemistry for Apple, 
Millicent Shelton directed that episode. She's wonderful. Uh, that was one of the best guest star gigs I ever had because we lost a location, which was in downtown LA where the building's on fire. The job stretched out for three months. It was the best guest star I ever had on a TV show with the fewest number of lines. It was a fantastic gig. And by the way, Peter Strauss and 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 Ian and Oliver and Kenneth Choi, the four main firemen at the time, they were magnificent to me. They treated me like gold. Great gang. Great group. I didn't get to work with Angela Bassett, unfortunately, who I loved way back when from what's love got to do with it. She should have won an Academy Award for that. Yeah. Yeah. Opposite Lawrence Fishburne, Ike and Tina Turner, remember? That's yeah. from 94. Children's Hospital had a little uh, thing about your man. I know. And, you know, that annoyed me, by the way, because I wrote him. I said, I'm still alive. Why don't you use the real Salvis Gusso? And he kept saying he, kept saying he was going to, but nothing ever came of it. Mm. A pox on his house. That's <laughs> bad. Bad karma. Okay. Now I want to ask you about your game show. Uh... $20,000 Pyramid. Go. One yeah. day I got this category, Barry Manilow songs. And I looked at Dick Clark. I said, look at me. Do I look like we know anything about this? Now, if you're talking to me about Bruce Springsteen, the East Street Band, that I know something about. Well, that, by the way, got me in front of the boys in the band. And we're still friends to this day. Gary Talent, Max Weinberg, Roy Bitten, and was Danny Federici, who was my pal who passed away, was the keyboardist. But... Bruce's mom and aunt found out about me talking about Bruce and everybody. So when I met Bruce in the summer of 80, because Danny May, rest in peace, brought me to meet Bruce when Bruce was working on the river. I'm glad that I love Bruce and them so much because they really, Bruce really spoke to me. I mean, he still does. And that, that TV show allowed me to use that as a forum so I could spread my feelings about the band and showcase his music. So I loved it. And that got me to Australia. It was great. And I and I and my one of my all time days where I won everything. Final pyramid category came up. Rock groups was a no brainer. Bruce Springsteen, the Street Band, the Beatles, the Stones. Of course, the gal guessed it, and of course, we won everything. And one of the clues were things with a with a flap, right? And uh, no things a pinafore. I didn't even know what it was. And I went the HMS, and the gal goes pinafore. Thank God she was an actress. And we want everything. I had no idea what a pinafore was at the time. Thank God I, care. Thank God I got on the plane and bought a dictionary because I had to figure out what the hell a pinafore was. But if that gal hadn't said, if I hadn't come up with HMS, we wouldn't have won the pyramid. She wouldn't have won 20 grand. I, I always loved when Dick Clark would go, you have six subjects, ready, and go. I made Dick Clark crack up. I'm coming back from one of my trips. You know, we we're all always flown first class. And do you ever hear Ray's Pizza, the original on 6th Avenue? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I brought two back two large pies and they were sitting on the seat next to me in the front row first class. Dick was sitting across the aisle, sat, sat across the aisle, was laughing. When I got to Las Vegas, the flight attendants took the pizzas, descended to their down the elevator and down where the galley was, and they put the pizzas in a vertical oven and reassembled them. So when I got off the plane and my wife at the time and my buddy Vinny Fanuelli and his wife Priscilla Lopez, who, by the way, was the original Morales in the original chorus line was saying what I did for love. She and he and my wife met me at the airport. I got off the plane with two hot raised pizzas <laughs> and a bottle of champagne that they gave me in first class and a bucket with glasses. And we ate pie and drank champagne at 12 o'clock as I landed in LAX. 
that game show got me a lot of stuff. Trip to Australia, where I got off of my own talk show. Oh, that would have been great. And you had the second fastest time to win. Oh, and who was the first, Billy? Billy by a second. By a second? Yeah. God. He did it in 26 seconds. You and Florence Henderson are tied with 27. Shut up. All of, if you go, I don't know if you ever go on YouTube. I don't. If you, if you do, all of your pyramids are up there. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Wow. And some other shows that was good. You played Family Feud. Oh, yeah, for charity. Yeah, you played ABC shows versus like NBC shows. Yeah, yeah. We I had my wife's my wife's family on there because they needed the money more than my my dad's side of the family needed the money. So I had my wife's side of the family on it. Yeah, it was a lot. That was a lot of fun. I think did we lose to eight is enough? I can't remember when we also did it. I did that. I did Family Feud with the soap people, but I also did it for charity with our family. From I think Dick. I don't remember. Did we? I did it more than once. Yeah, I know you did. Did it with soap, and then yeah. it was like soap and Angie versus Mark and Mindy, and yeah, 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 something like that. What? And what? What was um Richard Dawson like? Oh, he was great. Judge Sirica, who worked on Watergate, had written a book, and Richard Dawson knew where I lied, where I was politically, and apparently he was a a similar persuasion as I. I'll never forget, he gave me Judge Sirica's book and he autographed it for me, which I still have. Oh, wow. Richard, Richard Dawson was cool. He was a cool guy, smart too, and really gracious, really gracious. You'd be, you'd be hard pressed to hear me complain about anybody because I, I realize now how lucky I was. I got two network series when there were only three television networks within two years. I had no idea. In fact, I told you when I got the Montefuscas, I didn't even know what a pilot was. Better that I didn't know. And my advice to young, young actors, stay naive. Don't ask too many questions. Just do the best work you can do. Keep your naivete. Stay as innocent as you can because you'll do things that you won't do when you're older because you think, oh, the odds are against me. Don't, get, don't allow yourself to go there. Forget odds. Okay. I'm still working. I'm 75. You look great. Thank you. Do you remember the game show W-H-E-W? Yeah. Yeah, all of those are on YouTube as well. <laughs> you were on from like November 79 to like February of 80. How do you remember all this stuff? How do you know all I just have a. I just remember things. If I see something once, I remember it. You're crazy. You're wasting life up in Hicksville. You better get come out to L.A. Uh, yeah, no, that's what I want. But this is fun. What do you do in real life? I'm a teacher. Cool. What do you teach? Government. Great. And economics uh, for 22 Great. years in New York City. Great. Great. Where exactly is Hicksville? Long Island? I'm not in Hicksville. Where are you? Wanto. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But Jones, near Jones Beach. Yeah, I went to Jones Beach as a kid. I love Jones Beach. A couple of other things. Uh, you were on the Mike Douglas show. I where... first, I, the first time I did that was with Ronnie and Dom, and I was trying to do my meatball recipe, and those two were trying to be funny. That was not a good experience. Okay. But Dinah was. And the Tonight Show, 
was my number one favorite. I already told you that. I love George Carlin. But yeah, I, I did do Mike Douglas. I'm sorry, you got cut off. What happened? I did do Mike Douglas, but of all the talk shows, Dinah Shore and The Tonight Show were my actually my favorites. Well, Tonight Show is the, you know, the Tonight Show. I, I love The Tonight Show, especially with George Carlin. Come on, the greatest. Yeah, but I just wanted to, you were on the, I saw this in the newspaper, uh, newspapers.com. Uh, your, your guests were the Captain and Tennille, you, and Ruth Carter Stapleton, the, the President of the United States' sister. Yeah. So you got to hang out in the green room with the President of the United States' sister? Yeah. She was very nice. Hey, I voted for her, for, for Jimmy Carter, you know, but oh, I didn't have anything much to say to her. Okay. I was so nervous about the dude tonight. Could you imagine what a nervous wreck I was? I wanted to ask you uh, about a steady rain. Yeah, well, Jeff Perry, whom I, I studied acting with, who was, uh, you know, of course, Cyrus on Scandal, who's become one of my closest friends. Jeff saw me opening night up at the Portland Center stage, Bruce Norris's Clybourne Park. And I played a character who lost his son and his son was a war considered a war criminal during the korean war and was subsequently ostracized when he came back from the war as was my wife and i and after my son passes all i want to do is get away from that neighborhood and it was based on the play raising in the sun clybourne park well it was a trans formative experience for me to do that play jeff flew up and saw my opening when he after he saw it he said buddy i want to do a play with you a theater here the odyssey theater offered him the opportunity to direct keith huff's chicago playwright two character play italian cop irish cop he says which one you want to play that that's a no-brainer play italian cop denny who ends up killing himself at the end of the play it was a great experience and Jeff's wife, Linda Lowy, who cast all of Shonda, Shonda Rhimes shows, secretly brought Shonda to the play. And Shonda said to me after the show, I'm going to write a part for you and created a part for me as Clark, as Kerry Washington's lawyer on Scandal and introduced me in the beginning of the fourth season in 2014. And I did uh, three episodes and then changed it. Then all of a sudden Shonda changed the direction of the narrative and I didn't end up doing it anymore. But that's all because of Jeff and Keith's play. And we got to go to the Guthrie in Minneapolis, and we got to go to the Tony Award-winning theater, The Alliance in Atlanta, from that little play, and from him seeing me in opening night in Clybourne Park up in Portland. What show that you didn't appear on would you have liked to appear on? Oh, that's a brainer. Number one, The Sopranos. Number two, The Wire. Number three, West Wing. Number four, anything with Kieran Culkin and Brian Cox, succession. I wished I had done Taxi. I would have loved, never even got to audition for it. Wished I had done Breaking Bad. Wished I had done Better Call Saul. And now I pray that the gods up above hear what I'm about to say. Because the culinary producer, sister to the creator and showrunner of my current show, my favorite show, based in Chicago, which just had its second season and cleaned up at the Golden Globes the other night. Are you guessing what it is? 
Don't say it if you know what it is. That culinary producer who's a chef in real life, thanks to Chris Bianco of Bianco Pizzeria fame. And anybody who's listening out there goes, what is he talking about? If any of your listeners has Netflix and they click in chef's table and then from chef's table, they click in pizza. The very first pizzaiolo that's interviewed for an hour, Chris Bianco from the Bronx, okay? He invited Courtney Storer, the sister of Chris Storer, who is the creator and showrunner of The Bear. <laughs> she came to the closing of my play. And she is, I'm smitten with her. And I don't know how much Chris told her, but I wrote her a note and told her how much I loved the show and how much it meant to me. Particularly two episodes. The Christmas episode six in season two, The Seven Fishes, which was actually traumatizing because it reminded me of parts of my own crazy family. And the episode with Ebon Backrack, Ross, Cousin Richie about the forks. And those two episodes just absolutely just got to me big time. I love this show so much. And I hope that if the gods are listening, that Courtney Story told her brother about me, my note in my last performance is Alfieri, because that's the show I most want to do. But those are the shows that immediately. I loved Lou Grant with Lou Ed Asner. I would have loved to have done that. I wished I had done more in NYPD Blue. I never did Hill Street Blues. Uh, had I been younger, I wished I had done The Fugitive. I wished I had done East Side, West Side. I wish oh. I had done The Defenders. Okay? I wish I had done The Untouchables. Was there was there any part that you were up for that you didn't get but be, became a famous part? Yeah. Yeah. Night Shift. The part that Michael Keaton got. That Ron Howard and Brian Grazer uh, brought me back several times to read. And it put Michael on the map. And God bless him. He's brilliant. But that's the one I wished I had gotten. Hey, but it might not have happened for me had I gotten the part. So let's not take away anything from Michael. It's easy to do conjecture. But you know what? I'm pretty happy where I am. And I hope I can continue to remember my words. And I hope I can get more and more parts that I really care about that speak to me the way A View from the Bridge did at the Ruskin Group Theater at Santa Monica Airport. John Ruskin and Mike Myers run that theater and it was a community theater, and it really is a real community. A real community. But let's not forget, Ray Abruzzo, little Carmine, and Ray Abruzzo, married to Marky Post in Night Court, was the Eddie Carbone. Not to take away from the previous Eddie Carbones, but I can't believe any of them were as good as Ray. Well, thank you very much for doing this. I was excited when you said yes. And I'm so glad you did this. And by the way, speaking of meatballs, yes. just so you know, I grew up, we only used ground beef because probably was the cheapest. Here they do fancy schmancy, one-third pork, one-third veal business, right? I don't use breadcrumbs. I soak Italian bread, even if it's stale, in hot water, not boiling water. And then when it's completely mushy, I peel the crust off. I take the dough out. I squeeze the water out of the dough. I throw that into the bowl of meat. It's a quarter of a 16-ounce loaf of dough of bread per one pound of meat. I grate lots of fresh Pecorino Romano. We're Romano family. Chop fresh, clean Italian parsley. Throw out the stems. That goes in. One egg per pound. 
fresh cracked pepper, and a very little bit of salt because the Romano is salty. I mix that all up really, really well. I, one pound makes about 14 meatballs. I put some olive oil in a pan, a nonstick pan ideally, four or five cloves of garlic, high flame. As soon as the, as the garlic is brown, I put a few meatballs in the pan. You don't let them stick next to each other. Keep the flame high. As soon as you see it starts to brown on the sides, you flip the meatballs over. The meatballs are already mostly cooked. By the side of the pan, have a plate with paper towels folded over, a slotted spoon. When your meatballs are fully brown, don't keep messing around with them. They'll be brown again. Take them out. Let one, let them sit. Cut them in half. Test them. They may need some more grated Romano. You can't go wrong with my meatball recipe. Forget breadcrumbs. And you got to use the flat leaf Italian parsley. Italian and parsley is redundant. There's only one kind of parsley. Flat. I hope that helps you. That is the best ending to a show I've ever had. <laughs> hey, stay in touch with me. Let me know if you need anything. Hey, yeah. Thank you very much. And you know that this was a pleasure for me as well. Thank you very much. Ciao, Ian. Bye-bye. Bye. All right.